0: first watch hello and welcome to an all-new anarchic episode of the first watch podcast i am zach and i'm here with cole how are you
1: i'm good how about you
0: I'm doing very well. Today kicks off the start of a special new series for us on the films of the Czechoslovak New Wave. And here to help us discuss those films is a guest who has been in this recording booth a couple of times, but has not yet been on a published and released episode of this podcast. And that's Riley from Jamson T. Hello.
2: Hello. Just hey. been practicing for for this big moment where it's yeah. finally happening. I'm so excited to be here.
0: You're like my first go-to person anytime I have a project that's so ambitious, I don't end up completing it. So with that in mind, hopefully, knock on wood, we get through all of these episodes. Even if we don't, I think that today's topic is such a rich, fun film that it will stand alone as a lens into this movement. So before we get kicked off, usually we do a little bit of a segment where we talk about the films we've been watching lately, but obviously this is kind of a special case scenario. So maybe we'll just start with our guest. Riley, have you seen anything lately?
2: Not too much. I did go and see Bo is Afraid the other night. Mm, I wanted to really get as ahead of the discourse on that as possible. (laughs) I did that as well as someone who's not really all that into Ari Aster, but he's just also one of the few like, very idiosyncratic modern auteurs that we have who's like so unencumbered by basically anything that's outside of his very specific lens of the world and has had the fortune of being able to make films that are as esoteric and idiosyncratic as he wants them to be. But I did go and see Bo Afraid, fully cognizant of the shit wave surrounding this film (laughs) in terms of Ari Aster at his most maximalist turning all of these aspects of his personal style of cinema up to 11 and doing all these sorts of things. So I was fully prepared to find it insufferable and I actually was surprised by how much I enjoyed it. It might even be the film of his that I connect with the most in fact i'm pretty sure that it is at this point i found it to be a surprisingly delightful farce there's certainly comic elements to astor's previous two movies but they're so kind of venomous when they appear and so kind of laced with this undercurrent of ugliness that i found those previous two films particularly midsummer i mean i get along fairly well with hereditary but midsummer really just didn't land for me. And I've tried it a number of times, the way he would negotiate and navigate tone just never really clicked with me. Whereas I think with Bo is Afraid, obviously there's dark elements to the film and it's not exactly, you know, the cheeriest experience. But there's a lot of that sort of affected gloom that I find so off-putting about his previous works is kind of stripped away, and I enjoyed the way that he kind of embraced this purely silly tone. Also, I just think as well that whoever the casting director is in that film deserves like the biggest raise, because (laughs) the casting decisions throughout that film, which I knew nothing about going in, continually surprised and delighted me.
0: I think it's an unexpectedly good pairing with Daisies, because they're both really Formally audacious, Mm. bold shitposts. Like everything just kind of builds up to just being one joke. You know, the big thing about Daisies and a lot of these Czech movies, that they're like 70 minutes long, not 180 (laughs)
2: minutes long. And also to be fair as well, the thing with Daisies is, it's a film you can view through various different lenses, and I'm sure you could interpret it in a number of different ways, but the way I view it is fairly straightforward. And it makes very clear and even didactic points in very direct and blunt ways and and you could argue that it kind of makes one point over and over and over and over and over and, over, and maybe even despite its 75 minute length achieves something that could very easily have been achieved in a much shorter amount of time but mm. the joy for it in a similar way to me is the joy for Bo is afraid although that's a very loose <laughs> connection. i'm, I'm, loose just, cup, loose I'm just riding with this for now but i guess in a similar <laughs> sense it's like yeah, they both could be short or yeah, they do make points that are not points that take that long to make. But a lot of the joy is in seeing the effervescent and gleeful way that the filmmakers make those points again and again and again and find new ways to land the same joke that continually kind of surprise you and delight you and leave you enjoying the ride, more or less. It's it's not something that is sort of compounding in its complexity as it goes along and making new points and just building and building and building into something huge. It is very straightforward. It is very simple. There's a lot. Under- under the surface, sure, but it's not something that requires a whole thesis to unpack. But yeah, great film. Um, Daisy's even better. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Cole, how about you? Anything other than. So, we're going to be talking about Bo is Afraid tomorrow, yeah. which is an episode that we'll have released before this one. So, if you keep up with every episode of the podcast, <laughs> you'll have already heard us on that one.
1: I'm going to put my baseball bat away for right now. <laughs> I'll just say that by the end of the movie, I was begging for a chandelier to drop on me. <laughs>
2: Another connection. I was going to make it a little bit later on, but we're uh, God, two films right here in the conversation. Big <laughs> chandelier Central moments. Chandeliers. Uh,
1: yeah. Spoiler uh. alert. It's been a little bit of a slow week for me. The one thing I'll bring up is if you listen to a couple of older episodes on the podcast, you know that I used to work at a movie theater. That movie theater has now closed since AMC had another bigger location two miles away. They didn't need this one anymore. It is going to reopen in a couple of months as a landmark, which is really exciting since the big landmark in West Los Angeles shut down last year due to the rent just being too expensive. So theaters are slowly coming back here after a rough couple of months, which is really exciting. The Egyptian's going to reopen. There's another theater that Tarantino bought that's going to reopen in a couple of months running all 35, 16, 70 millimeter prints. So the last film I saw in my old work was Renfeld. <laughs> Which <laughs> uh, what a
0: way to go out.
1: Whew, that was rough.
0: Look, on <laughs> paper, Nicolas Cage Dracula. Nicholas Holt Renfield, the Knicks. That's
1: a great idea. Just roll with that. That fucking rocks. I wish. I wish it would just be a simple, straight up Dracula adaptation.
0: Did you get anything out of Nick Cage as Dracula?
1: I mean, I could tell that he was having a lot of fun and I did enjoy watching him have a great time, you know, going, I want to suck your blood. Uh-huh. <laughs> but You know, a weird thing about this, this is all like in the camera blocking for some reason. It's a very static movie, Mm. and it keeps on cutting off parts of his body. And he's a very physical actor. He's like constantly moving around all over the place like a cartoon. So I don't know why you would try to block that off.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. When you think of Raising Arizona, it's those big, long, rubbery limbs.
1: Yeah, or even Vampire's Kiss, which I watched the same day
0: oh perfect that's certainly got to be the better nick cage vampire movie right
1: oh, no question honestly it's kind of sad to think about because nicholas cage has wanted to play dracula for his entire career mm. and he's doing it in this friggin action comedy where every single joke is like the well that just happened right <laughs> miserable painful experience that is the trailer that is the trailer
2: damn <laughs>
0: Did that fucking Postmates joke make it into the final cut?
1: Yeah, it did. It came in at a very serious moment. Serious? Yeah. Does the
0: movie get real?
1: It Well, it tries. <laughs> oh, does it try?
0: Aquafina maybe retire,
1: I don't know. Or do another farewell. Yeah. No more comedy. No more comedy.
0: <laughs> for me, it's just been non-stop new releases for, as I've already alluded to, the episode that we're recording tomorrow, and then a lot of these Czechoslovak new wave movies that I've been catching up on, I think I've seen close to 40 now, including some short films. The last one I watched was All My Good Countrymen by Wojtek Jasny, and I'll be continuing to do that as we gear up for these next episodes. This is, as I mentioned, the first of a series of episodes about this movement. The next one that we're going to be covering is going to be Juraj Hirsch's The Cremator, followed by Milos Forman's The Fireman's Ball. And if we get there, František. Flashills, Marketa Lazrova. So we really want to give a panoramic, full-scope view of what was one of the tiniest, shortest-lived, but most creative, productive, and best filmmaking movements of the 20th century in Europe or anywhere. Before we get started, I'm just curious, Colt, what's a new wave?
1: So a new wave is generally, in terms of how critics describe it, It's what happens when a movement starts in a national cinema. Uh, For example, not only the Czech New Wave, but the French New Wave, Brazilian New Wave, Romanian New Wave, more recent example. It's what happens when a group of directors all start working around roughly the same time, maybe in a couple of years of each other, running around in the same social circle, making films that all sort of complement each other, you know, similar themes, similar ideas all tackling something that you know has to do with what cinema's like at the time, what the country is like. And in the example of the New wave, which started around 1962, 1963, and kind of petered out by 1970. A lot of it was in response to a lot of reforms that were going on at the time in Czechoslovakia, specifically around the Communist Party. And all of these directors who were working and interacting with each other had come up through the National Film Program and were putting out all of these films that were basically tackling what it means to live under this communist system in Czechoslovakia at the time, which all kind of came crashing down in 1968 with the Prague Uprising.
0: Right. Prague Spring. Yeah. The interesting thing with all these different students all going to school is that they were able to see movies that no one else in Czechoslovakia could see. Mm -hmm. They could watch Antonioni. They could watch Godard. They could watch all these different Italian neo-realist films all the way up through the French New Wave. And so they get to work off of a lot of the influences that we would think of in international art house cinema. But it was really the first time in this country that the people who were getting to make movies were being influenced by all these different outside sources. All the way through the end of the war in 1945, through the 1950s, Czechoslovakia, extremely rigid, specific filmmaking constraints. And you'd see the same thing in other parts of Eastern Europe, like the Eastern Bloc in Poland, or in the Soviet Union. But it was just incredibly restrictive in terms of what type of content you could show, and the form that you could use. Almost everything fit into what was known as socialist realism, which is a little bit like Italian neorealism, except Italian neorealism, kind of the goal of it, the purpose of it, was to stick you with these lower class individuals in the real way that they actually lived with amateur actors. And it would be a critique of the economics and the politics of those places in Italy. For example, if we look at Visconti's La Terra Trema, it's about how Sicilians were basically mistreated and impoverished and didn't have opportunities. If we compare that to the socialist realism, those themes of Struggle are still there because they cohere to the communist ideology. But everything is very uplifting, positive, and kind of phony. There's not a lot of genuineness. There's not a lot of personal expression or honest representation of what it is like to be Czech. And so, in a lot of ways, these movies within the Czechoslovak New Wave are important for just allowing us to observe a way of life otherwise was clouded by government restrictions and censorship. Mm -hmm. Basically, the movement said to start around 1963. You can see the seeds of it forming a little bit before that, as those reforms came through and everything started to lift. 63 was really when the door opened, and suddenly we see a lot of formal experimentation, in addition to just the subject matter. And the formal experimentation of the Czech New Wave is beyond... Just about anything that I would say, you know, if you get into French New Wave, or you get into Japanese New Wave, you'll see a lot of frenetically edited films, films that use really creative sorts of blocking, experimental sequencing based on memory and perception and dreams. When you get into the checks, I mean, it's like absolutely everything thrown at the wall in terms of technique. It's pure anarchy. It's pure creativity. Okay. and. Very few filmmakers within the movement, even though they all kind of adhered to that, very few filmmakers in the movement embodied it quite like Vera Hichilova, who is the director of Daisies, which we're here to talk about today. She made a couple of student films, including A Bag Full of Fleas, which is a look inside of an all girls dormitory working at a factory. And then there's Ceiling, which is about the life of a young model, which is kind of relevant because Hichilova herself. Was a model when she was a student. Before she became a filmmaker, actually, she was almost entirely within the fashion world, which I think is something that becomes incredibly important when we talk about the meaning of Daisies and the execution of Daisies. Her style is defined by femininity, it's defined by absolute chaos. And while Jan Jemich is the filmmaker most commonly associated with the Enfant title, I would say Hitchlova earns it like. Every minute of every movie she's ever made is just like a provocation. It's a joke. It's an experiment. It's really quite dazzling. Have you guys seen any other of her movies besides Daisy's either earlier or later?
2: I actually haven't. Yeah. (laughs) I feel bad for that considering that Daisy's been a favorite of mine for a while. But one thing I want to just address off the bat as well is while femininity is obviously a core aspect of her work, and particularly this film, it also would be, I think, reductive to view it solely through a feminist lens. I mean, it's something interesting that I've discovered while researching this film is that Hichilova didn't really identify as a feminist filmmaker, and to a large part felt that readings of her work that solely viewed them through that lens ultimately ended up being quite reductive. And I think that what's interesting about the way in which Hichilova. Chilova uses feminism or uses femininity rather in her films is as a means to the end of anarchy in a lot of different ways. So basically you have this heightened visualization, this heightened conceptualization essentially of this very decadent and chaotic existence that is basically in every sense and in every aspect of what it does, a total reaction against the constraints of the socialist realism, basically. It's not necessarily the idea being that what Hitchi wants to do is depict a more fair or accurate or uh, realistic view of how she sees Czech society. It's actually more just taking everything and making it as chaotic and as counter to the mode of presentation as possible. So it's not about a different kind of realism. It's not even necessarily about a different viewpoint. It's purely about chaos. It's purely about taking the way in which people, women and Czech society in general is presented on screen and completely upending that in basically as many different ways as possible. And everything that the film does ultimately has the goal of chaos, I think. I mean, I'm not trying to reduce or simplify it in any way, but basically I think everything you see on screen and basically every decision that's made and almost every action that a character does in the film is intended as a form of chaos. And particularly when you consider, like when you juxtapose different actions and different sequences and scenes next to each other and sometimes seemingly abstract and random ways in which they collide together and they are sequenced, you have this purely disorienting experience, I think is the core takeaway of Daisies, And one of the joys of it is realizing that as much as you try to project sense and as much as you try to project logic, and even as much as you try to project a a simple reading of the film, it kind of rejects that. Mm -hmm. Like The immediate temptation when I first saw it as I was young was to kind of read it as this encouragement for sort of rebellion and this encouragement for sort of female uprising. But there's this sense with which Hichelova is sort of reveling in that uprising and reveling in that kind of chaos. But also there's a sense with which maybe she's a little bit critical of it as well. And maybe she's a little bit aware of the need to avoid becoming complacent in making any kind of political points, mm-hmm. right? Or in engaging any kind of like political behavior or action. The idea is that if you engage in all these forms of excess as a way of revolting against the status quo, or as a way of revolting against The reality of Czech life at that time, which is that food was very scarce and a lot of people really, really struggled to get the resources they needed and a lot of people just didn't get them. If you go too far in the opposite direction of that, you can end up alienating the audience from the point that you're making as well. So there's this interesting balance, I think, that she treads while at the same time maintaining that dedication to chaos. It's a very fascinating experience to watch the film.
1: Yeah. And the food shortages is actually part of why the movie got banned in the first place. The official reason given by the government Mm -hmm. was excessive food waste.
2: Mm.
0: So as Riley just did a beautiful job of establishing, Daisies is a film that is difficult, if not impossible to summarize. So in the interest of chaos, let's go ahead and do just that. Cole, why don't you tell us what Daisies
1: is? So, Daisies is a 1966 feature directed by Vera Chitalova. It focuses on two girls, teenagers, both named Marie. You got Marie, Run and Marie, Two. You know, like, (laughs) thing one and thing two, except, you know, they don't have a cat in the hat to keep them contained. And the two girls decide one day that since the world is a spoiled, rotten, and destructive place, they're also going to be spoiled and rotten and chaotic. And the film takes us through a series of segments, some of which have repeating patterns, some of which don't. Of the girls just going out and causing as much chaos as possible, you know, going on dates with rich older men, eating all the food they want, and then dumping them on the train, (laughs) or going to a jazz club and messing everything up, or in one spectacular example, destroying an entire banquet.
0: I want to loop back around briefly to something, which is just that when you look through Hichilova's earlier career, I do think that there's a more defined relationship with realism, which makes sense because it's her student work. It's as she's coming up and learning and, you know, working off the conventions and breaking them piece by piece. What's interesting if you look at the movie Bag Full of Fleas, for instance, is that it is a pretty unfiltered look into this life that's almost kind of like documentary realism in a way, but almost the entire movie is filmed from the first person point of view of a girl who is in this place. There's like a main character that you're watching. And the camera is her best friend. And so there's this innate subjectivity to her camera placements and to her direction, which I think is where the quote-unquote realism begins and ends with Daisies, Because it's the launching off point into this madcap comedy satire. But the beginning point of it is subjectivity, which I think that's the first shot across the bow in terms of creating chaos, is saying, realism, socialist realism. It's about what's objective. It's about what's actual. But I'm here to tell you that this is about what people actually are, which is complicated, which I think plays right into your, the political messaging cannot be one note. It can't just be oversimplified because it's people. It's how do emotions, desires, appetites all factor into how people behave within a given political context, how they execute their political ideas, which is a lot of things to say to lead into daisies a movie that is like i'm not kidding the first time that i saw it like a lot of it just felt random Mm. like it was just a stream of not even dreamlike kind of lynchian randomness like you might get in like lost highway where you're following fulci polanski nightmare logic from piece to piece to piece it's quite literally just A giggle fit of a movie. (laughs) To the point that I think the first time I saw this, I gave it a negative rating. Like, I just didn't really care for it. I don't think that I really understood it. And it wasn't until this most recent rewatch that I not only admired it and thought about it fairly deeply, but just had a blast, which I think really begins with those two lead performances, which, again, kind of going into that realism, the conventions of realism. Both of the two lead actresses here, which are Jitka Herhova, and Ivana Karbanova are both amateurs. Neither one of them had ever acted on film prior to this movie before. And there's just a glee that the two of them have from the opening shot to the final final
1: card. Mm-hmm. Yeah they're very Looney Tunes-esque the second you see them. They've just got this madcap energy they carry throughout the entire film.
0: I think in the opening shot, we see them both in black and white. They're sitting in their bikinis. Mm -hmm. And every time that they move, you get like a little squeak sound effect. Because they're dolls, which they refer to themselves as. Which is kind of an interesting little note back on the themes of femininity is that the term used for doll is prana, which in Czech is slang for virgin. So it's about sexuality and objectification. And they're just these two little inanimate objects sitting and having a conversation with each other, going, the world is rotten, so let's be spoiled too. And from there, (laughs) they make a mess.
2: Yeah, I think that may be... There's an aspect to that sense of dissociation between the different things that happen in the film and the sense of seeming like while on one hand there is that mode of just pure excess and spoiledness for the sake of it, there's also the sense with which the characters feel almost entirely figurative and kind of like you can't really get inside them. And so I think that may be why to a certain extent, a lot of people maybe struggle with this film initially, because if you don't really have a context for it, Mm -hmm. and if you don't really know what to expect in terms of what the film is going to be doing, it doesn't really reach out to you in any way at any point it is this pure again exercise and this just miasma of (laughs) sheer joyful noise basically it's funny the way that the film kind of negotiates with or sort of nods to like having a stereotypical plot or having like recurring bits and jokes like the repetitive dalliances with men and then abandoning them on the train that kind of
1: (laughs) go off queens
2: (laughs) there's these little plot beats that the film will occasionally go Back to as a part of its recurring joke, but they're just sort of strung together by these seemingly disconnected sequences of yeah. purely symbolic act, like where they're cutting out the food <laughs> and where they're burning the paper and just doing all these sorts of entirely frivolous things. And I think to really engage with daisies, you have to kind of submit to the joy of that behavior and to the sheer freedom and freeing frivolousness of doing those sorts of things. And you need to sort of stop interrogating them on a moment to moment basis and kind of let yourself be a part of that emotional and subjective experience Mm -hmm. that these two women who interestingly are identically named and, and seem to kind of function as, I don't want to impose like a duality thing on them. Like they're kind of two sides or whatever. I kind of just think they're a sort of single being.
0: There are details that stand out. For instance, a lot of it is in the costuming, like the redheaded Marie, who's on the poster and the covers and everything like that with the flowers in her hair. Mm -hmm. Yeah, She's always got the same type of dress on, which kind of comes all the way up to her neck. Whereas the other one always has like a little bit of a lower neckline. She's always wearing pigtails. There's like stylistic, almost like you would do with cartoons, design features, which help to ground you in their personalities, which are similar. But I do think you could draw certain distinctions between the yeah. two of them. I want to ask, how did you guys originally react to this? Like when you very first saw it the first time?
1: The first time I ever saw this, I completely loved it because of how anarchic it felt. <laughs> and I just tapped into the comedy immediately. I was just like, okay, just going to go with the flow of the movie. Yeah. And it was a riot.
0: <laughs> had you ever seen any other Czechoslovak new wave films before this one? Or was this your first?
1: I think I had seen one or two before. Because the first way that I experienced this was through the Criterion Eclipse box set, Pearls of the Checkney Wave.
0: I think my first one was Yaromil Yerish's Valerie and her Week of Wonders, <laughs> which is just as abstract and like, huh, as this is. Riley, how about you? How was your first reaction? And had you ever seen any films from the movement prior to this one?
2: Well, my first reaction was very positive, but I saw this as a teenager when I was going through like a really huge sort of Euro art house phase, Same. And I was just kind of absorbing as much of it as possible. And I wasn't really like, um, I wasn't really being all that discerning. I was kind of just sort of taking stuff in experientially. I watched so much European cinema in such a kind of condensed time when I was like 16 that it's hard for me to remember whether this was my first. Mm, I got you. It might have been my first Czechoslovakian new wave film, but I remember at the time there was a filmmaker, I was really into a Serbian filmmaker called Dushan Makoveev, who made similarly like really beyond the pale, like excessive, often quite sexually provocative films. And he has a particular film called Sweet Movie, which this reminds me of a lot. Although that movie, I think, goes a lot further into some of its provocations than this one does. And so I was really kind of taken with that idea of like the cinema of excess, essentially, with this very ripe age, kind of really provoked and moved by the satirical element. Not only is there a total disregard for what is appropriate, what is conventional, what is the right thing to do, but there's this sense with which nothing matters mm-hmm. to these women. And there's something like, even more freeing about that they veer from the dates of euphoric realizations joyful assertions of freedom to these really morbid and dark nihilistic statements the imminence of death and all these kinds of things and there's a sense none of it matters at all like it's all just noise and that's something that i think is really truly anarchic about this film is that there is a sense of consequence i think ultimately with the end of the film mm. But ultimately, when these girls are having the time of their lives and when these girls are going through it emotionally, there is this sense that none of it really matters at all anyway. And it's all just stuff. And that's one of the most freeing things about the movie, I think. The spirit of anarchy is pure here.
0: I think that's an attitude one could easily develop when you've moved from a fascist occupation into the bright-eyed idealism of like oh, hey, the Red Army's coming to save us. Everything's going to be okay. We're going to be fine. We're going to be this great collectivist country. Everything's cool. And then it doesn't really work out. Everything falls to shit. And so instead of having these really hard and fast political beliefs, it's this idea of humanity, subjectivity. And I think with Daisies, what I really, really, really thought about a lot the last time is just rule breaking. The idea of every written rule, as soon as you see it, break it. The two characters they're here to break all their social contracts, wasting the food, fucking around with men, doing whatever they want to do. Kitchalova herself is breaking every structural filmmaking writing rule it's just that as soon as you see a rule break it it doesn't matter if it's a good rule or a bad mm-hmm. rule. break it yeah break, right. break it, break it, break it, break it and I think in order to really get the value of that to understand on a deeper level, it is helpful to have seen films that preceded it, films that came after it from this movement, from other movements, so that you can understand what rules they're breaking and what the value of that is. I guess the reason why that seems interesting to me is because this is by far the most popular film in this movement. Mm -hmm. By far. It's the number two is like if you just go by letterbox logs, which isn't everything, it's like twenty five percent of the number of logs of this film. This is hugely popular relative to almost every other big movie, major release, criterion release, Janus restoration. And because of that, I think it becomes an entry point for a lot of people that is notoriously difficult because it's breaking rules that you probably don't even understand. So I'm just kind of curious, any other recommendations for someone who was trying to get into Czechoslovak new wave movies and either is a little freaked out by the idea of daisies being so (laughs) wild and wacky, or maybe that it bounced off of like it did for me the first time.
1: Yeah. If you're watching this and you're just like, what the fuck is going on? And you're just like completely <laughs> checked out by all the insanity. Ironically, that box set that I just mentioned earlier is a great intro for the wave as a whole because it's all centered around this one anthology feature called Pearls of the Deep, which is an anthology. One of the short segments in it was directed by Chittalova. And it's also got a murderer's row, of prominent filmmakers from that movement. So so you can watch that, and then you could figure out, you know, who do you like the most from that segment, Mm. from that film, and then you can look at the short that they directed for the anthology, and then go, okay, so I'll go watch their stuff. So it's actually this really great way to branch off into the different filmmakers of this movement.
0: Yeah, from the top to the bottom, that's Yuri Menzel, the director of Closely Watched Trains. Mm. I
2: was just gonna mention Closely Watched Trains as well,
1: that's also a great one.
2: Just probably as a kid, and especially as like growing up non-binary, but male and not knowing it and kind of struggling yeah. with sexuality as a teenager and all that kind of stuff. I really resonated with that particular film a lot. So mm-hmm. that would be one I would recommend.
0: That's my second favorite of all the Czech films that I've seen is Closely Watched Trains. Mm-hmm. Joyful little movie. Quick, interesting note. Closely Watched Trains is actually based on a piece of writing by Bohimo Kuba, who is also the author of Pearls of the Deep. That book is actually the narrative basis for every single short film within this anthology collection, and it's notable because it works as a kind of mission statement for the early filmmakers in the movement. That book was published in 1963, which is when the Czechoslovak New Wave movement is said to have began, and just like the films in the movement, the book took many years to publish because of harsh Czechoslovak censorship. And so there's a real synergy between the author, the filmmakers, and all of the different artists that are coming up within this generation. The other directors there would be Jan Jemich, the director of Diamonds of the Night, and a report on the party and the guests.
1: That would be another great place to start to report on the party and guests.
0: Evald Schorm, what did he make? He did...
1: I do this every time we record James and T, don't worry about it.
2: <laughs> I always forget the name of something I've been listening to for days. I do this all the time, oh. so.
0: Evald Schorm, director of Courage for Every Day and The Return of the Prodigal Son. Vera Hitchilova directs the fourth short, which is by far the best of an anthology, in my opinion. Just so many beautiful romantic images. It begins with this bride who's in a cafe and filming it from the outside. So you see like a window that's being coated in rain and there's like the bridal veil. Just a beautiful movie. And then the final one is uh, Yaramil Yurish, who I've already brought up, who is the director of Valerie and Her Week of Wonders, as well as The Joke. There are also two short films that I want to just briefly mention, because I think they both rock, which were originally included with Pearls of the Deep, but cut from the final set of five. Those are A Boring Afternoon by Yvonne Passer, who is a collaborator of Milos Forman, who we'll talk about on The Fireman's Ball, because he co-wrote that. And that movie's about a bunch of patrons waiting in a bar while a local soccer match is being played. So it's all the people of the town that didn't go to the soccer match, sitting in a bar, sitting around, singing, drinking, talking. Just very chill, very cool movie. I like it a lot. And then Uri is The Junk Shop. Uri Hirsch is the director of The Cremator, which our next episode is about. And it's a story about a place where people come to bring things which are junk. Paper, old goods, furniture... And a lot of it's communist satire where they're like bringing in these statues of Jesus and cutting Jesus in half in this junk shop and stuff like that. Very funny. I highly recommend both of those movies, which are on the Criterion channel, which again are originally part of Pearls of the Deep. All seven of those directors all went to school together, as Cole has already mentioned, at the National Czech School. Jurai Herz is the only one that was Slovakian. The rest of them are all Czech. I guess I'll name one. Just to throw it all the way back to the very beginning, 1963, there's a Slovakian film by Stepan Ur called Son in the Net. If you watch "Sun in the Net, you'll really start to see where those earlier comparisons to Italian neorealism and the French new wave come from. That's just a story about a kid, one summer, romantic strife, he gets a job, what's it like where he's working? But it's very funny and very visually creative. If you've ever felt like some of those Italian neorealism movies were a little bit dry, this is just like that, but with that Czechoslovak sense of humor that really defines a lot of the films within the movement where they're making fun of something and they're having fun with conventions, they're having a blast breaking the rules, just like we're talking about with Daisies.
2: There's a great cut or like a great like shot cut shot early in the film that always makes me laugh every time I watch it. I've seen this film four times now. And it's this moment where you cut to a new scene and I think it's Marie one is this little laying on the grass Mm. and sort of, she just sort of head back and you see, you actually cut to her hair first and you see her head on the grass and then the shot sort of cuts out and it's a patch of grass on her bed that she sort of (laughs) placed there. So it's this great little moment of like just deception. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Kind of disorienting you spatially.
2: But also it's like in having that there, it's an entirely sort of surrealistic element, but it's also this little tiny slice of anarchy in its own way, right? Yeah. Is bringing that nature inside and bringing something where it doesn't belong.
0: Mm. You get all those bright green apples all over the bed and the floor there too. Yeah. And that segues actually to another name that we haven't brought up yet. Another Czech director who only ever made one film because she was more prolific as a screenwriter and as an art director, and as a costume designer, and as a production designer, she really did it all. Her name is Esther Krumbachova. She's the co-writer of this film. She also did the costumes for this film and the set design for this film. If you've seen Daisies, I feel like if I say that somebody did the sets and the costumes, you should understand, and wrote it, co-wrote it, they really have a huge thumbprint on this thing. Because it is told in images and designs and fashion. And Krumbachova, I mean, like, a report on the Party and the Guests, Diamonds of the Night, both of those in the image films. Mm-hmm. She worked on numerous films with Hichilova. She co-wrote and did production on Valerie and her Week of Wonders. So her stylistic instincts are really a huge part of how this movement looks. Mm-hmm. And I think that's mm-hmm. something that's really, really important when you get into like, how do these people dress? How do like the country folk dress versus the city folk dress versus the communist party dress versus this guy dressed. And giving you all of the time and the rich history of Czechoslovakia in an instant through an outfit or a hat. Amazing. Like, she's an incredibly creative individual whose contributions cannot be overstated, particularly this film.
2: And just with the set design as well, like just the way the film is shot, a lot of static wide shots where you're essentially sort of taking in a room and these mm-hmm. two figures are just kind of moving across it. The environment and the rooms and the places that the film is set are important and you're given lots of opportunity to take that in. But it's also presented in a way where each scene is kind of like a tableau uh, where you're just kind of observing a place. And then you're just watching these two women essentially create chaos upon that place and and sort of spread mess and corrupt and degrade and corrode those things that you initially see as well. So the formalism is beautiful in this film because it's so functional, but also at the same time really has that sense of playful spirit with it too, especially because like you have those, you know, quite stationary static, even a little bit sort of austere and sometimes sort of framings. And then you have a lot of those cutaways to the trend first person with Mm -hmm. all the colors
0: I love it oh so good
2: the random segues Mm -hmm. and stuff and so you have this established way of presentation for most of the scenes of the film then you have these kind of really bizarre cutaway things that just disorient and upend that it becomes a very satisfying and predictable rhythm after a certain point in time but you just also never know
1: how it's going to be utilized and what you're going to see every time you feel like you've established yourself somewhat the film just keeps on throwing you off in the best way possible
0: one of my favorite sets of this entire film is when we get to one of the Marie's boyfriends who's played by an actor that's a central figure in a report on the party and the guests which we brought up a couple times and he's just kind of like this meek shitty boyfriend (laughs) we see them fraternizing with a lot of older men leading a lot of these older men on getting free food getting all this stuff and then ditching this is a younger man and his apartment has insects in display cases I mean it looks like Sajin Suzuki's (laughs) fucking Branded to kill. You see, like Marie's like (laughs) holding one of them. She's like completely nude, like holding one of the cases over her butt. I think is actually the cover on the Pearls of the Czech New Wave (laughs) DVD box set. (laughs) (laughs) Just love that. And then we get another reference back to him later, just on the phone. We don't go back to that environment, but it's the probably to me the most infamous scene of this film when they're cutting up all the phallic food. They're cutting up the bananas and the sausages and everything like that yeah. while this guy's like, hey, I love you, baby. <laughs> and they're just fucking cutting dicks open. It's so good. Yeah. It's an elite, elite gag.
1: So ahead of their time, they invented Lorena Bobbitt. <laughs> There's the thing as well with the I guess supporting characters,
2: if you could even call them that, in this movie, where like all the men and basically everyone else that isn't these two women is in this perennial state of bland bemusement. There's no one who's like outraged or even reacting violently against them. In the scene where they're watching that cabaret dance and they're just kind of creating chaos in the background, (laughs) like everyone else is just kind of sitting there. And even that couple whose table they get on top of and start kind of drinking their wine or whatever, they just kind of they react but they don't react. they're like they're above all of it. And it feels like that, that one boyfriend, the insect <laughs> boyfriend. <laughs> (laughs) he's like the only other person in the movie who seems to emote in any way and there's almost a sense with which he like could be a part of the anarchy or the rebellion if only he could kind of get over his um if only he could embrace that sense of not caring and letting all of his sort of Mm. selfish self-concern fall away and just sort of you know embracing that level of chaos and that's a neat little moment I think because there's really no other characters in the film who emote or do anything in any meaningful way the girls are just so the rigid focus of the film the entire time.
0: That actor's name, by the way, is Jan Klushak.
2: Very great Czech name.
0: (laughs) (laughs) They're all Jans and Vira's over there, as far as I can tell. A few Shiris. Stepans and Stepa's. Slovakia. And I guess Marie's here in Daisy.
2: (laughs) I have a co-worker who's Polish, and the one thing I've learned from basically all my conversations with her is that I have been pronouncing every polish name and every <laughs> polish word so wrong like not even close to it. and i can only assume the same for my pronunciation of czech as well but i hope yes. it's a little bit better yeah. because every time i hear my polish coworker say something in polish or, or say a polish name it's like i've never heard that before <laughs> like that's not how it looks at all <laughs>
0: formal apology from the first watch podcast if we pronounce any czechoslovak names or any names wrong now in the past or in the future sorry
2: i have very fond memories of, of my last time on here in the episode that didn't of me like laboring to say kristov kishlovsky
0: <laughs> Zubnu prisoner <laughs> who fucking knows uh colony particular like standout scenes images for you
1: For me, it really does come down to that final banquet all at the end, where they just go in and just fuck shit up.
0: They begin that, and it's just like... You know, I'll just say it's the originally written end of Stanley Kubrick's Dr. Strangelove. They go into a big (laughs) banquet, they eat some food, and then they have an epic food fight. (laughs) There's kind of an interesting thing, maybe I'm jumping ahead a little bit too much, because the final title card of this film is like, dedicated for anybody who's mad about a couple beds of stomped up lettuce, which is an actually kind of an interesting little framing device, I think, because you begin the film and there's like artillery and tanks and military imagery. And when you see the daisies title card come through and check, it's like in this typewriter type, like you're watching a war movie. And so there's like this almost innate juxtaposition of like, what makes you angrier? War, death, destruction, the atrocities of history, or like a couple of girls who wasted some, (laughs) a couple of girls who just wanted to have fun.
2: And I like that Hitchelover takes that Thought experiment to its most extreme with the banker. Yeah. because again, this is a film that's taking place during a time of, I mean, calling it a food shortage is like the ultimate sort of euphemism. I mean, it's basically a famine for poor people, essentially. Yeah. So you're taking this idea of what do you take more offense to, to its most extreme by having this just. Complete engorgement, this total waste of colossal amounts of food. It's a test, essentially, of how far you're willing to go and how serious you are about your political beliefs as well, as well as being a commentary on the excess of the wealthy and of the carefree as well. And it's this idea that excess is for the people without means to engage in excess. It is a form of rebellion to be able to do the thing mm-hmm. that the oppressors engage in and do as well. But it's also this thing where you have to remain aware and cognizant of where the boundaries lie between rebellion, between anarchy and between a different kind of oppression and a different kind of like conformity, essentially. There's some interesting questions and interesting provocations the movie makes. I think that the way that it ends with that banquet seems to be something that's discussed a lot in analyses of the film that I've seen. And so I I think it is kind of the ultimate provocation that that Hitchilova makes. So it does make for a really strong and memorable ending.
0: If one half of your debate is about famine, isn't that itself a reflection of the status of the country, of the government, of the state not doing what they need to be doing? Like food shortages, as we will probably talk a little bit about when we get to our communism episode, aren't just random. They don't just come out of nowhere. It's state inefficacy, not running shit right, that causes that. So it's if we see this food wastage as a provocation in that direction, it is a mirror to one of their greatest failings during this decade.
1: It's a domino effect that trickles down to everybody and just led to the suffering of millions of people. And it's really significant, I think, that this is the only scene of madness where the girls seem cognizant of what they're doing. And then after they've you know, had this giant food fight and have made a mess of everything, they start cleaning up. But it's like ineffectual cleaning as well.
2: Yeah,
0: You can't put the broken dishes back Mm -hmm. together. They're arranging them on the table and it's like four shards of porcelain putting food that's been regurgitated or thrown against the wall and just bashing it together in the middle. They're in these bizarre outfits for this too. These are like two of the most noteworthy costumes that they wear for the entire film because it's like newspaper and I mean, to me, it kind of looks like fencing or something. It looks like there's like threads that are in kind of a pattern of fence that are holding these newspaper dresses together. It's a really bizarre look. And this is the one moment where they they not only feel bad, but they kind of walk around. Riley used this word just a little bit ago, conformity. They just, they're obedient now. They're like do 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 wind up dolls that are like, okay, now we're going to fix everything and do everything, da-da-da-da, and follow all the rules. And where does it go? You know, it is ineffectual. Right. There's nothing that they can do.
2: There's like a sense with which, and it's hard not to read it through this lens now for me, their ineffectual attempt to kind of paper over the cracks and does seem to reflect the ways in which governments attempt to right wrongs by doing very ineffectual things, by putting a band-aid on it, essentially, rather than making the broader, more sort of structural change necessary to institute a reality where that Mm -hmm. issue doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. And I feel like it wouldn't be too much of a stretch to say that Heecher is making a similar point there as well.
1: Oh, absolutely. I
0: love that the end point of the banquet and the chandelier and the destruction is that they randomly get deposited into the sea. Mm. It's the only ending they could have
2: had. They're helpless. I mean, they're thrashing about and they have no freedom anymore. They're completely constricted in that context. It's this ultimate contrast to their boundless movement of the entire rest of the film.
1: It's the most severe punishment you could imagine.
2: Yeah. Mm.
0: Brain's a little wonky. It's been a minute since I watched this. I should have planned to watch closer to our recording, but that's okay.
1: I literally rewatched it two hours ago. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> yeah, I rewatched it this morning, too.
0: Amazing. It's a movie you can just knock out real quick because of its brevity.
1: It is. It so is. Mm-hmm.
0: No, you know, I just want to reiterate something that warmed me up from minute one to minute 70 again is just those two lead performances because it's like, on one hand, the formalism will often treat them like they're... Catherine Deneuve, or Jean Moreau. But then the rest of the movie kind of treats them like they're the Marx Brothers. And so there's just a lot of this like great close up work of their faces and their expressiveness. Unlike most actors who would be, you know, portraying a character with all these different details. It's like, just have fun. Just have as much fun making this as you possibly can. I think if you just lock into their faces, into Mm. their emotions, their eyes, their big why? <laughs> Giggling eyes. There's just so much joy to be had in everything that they're doing, regardless of all this meaning and you know, experimentation and everything like that. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So definitely a movie that 100% rewards your patience, your open-mindedness, and maybe a little bit of experience like we talked about, kind of getting into some of those other movies and some movies that we'll be talking about in our future conversations unfortunately, this one takes another sight and sound one off of our list, so when our sight and sound list jumps from, you know, whatever, 26 to 28, wherever it is on the list, you'll know that it's because we already did a Daisies episode.
2: Yeah. Yeah, I was just about to say, where is that on the sight and sound list? I have to look it up.
0: It's pretty high, I think.
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's moved up a lot over the
1: years.
0: You know, as we were talking about on our Jean Dielman episode, really the theme of the 2022 Sight and Sound list is women directors, yeah. because they just had such a strong showing on that list and in high places as well. Mm-hmm. I think this is the only Czechoslovak New Wave film that lands top 100 of that list, although on the larger version, I think there are a couple more.
1: Yeah, once you get down to like the hundreds and thousands, then yeah, a lot more pops up. Daisies is 28. Yeah.
2: Which yeah. is actually higher than I expected it to be, but understandable. It is, like you said, incredibly popular. I think it's just so difficult to ignore. And so in your face as well, that it's hard for people not to be drawn in or curious about it. Uh,
0: you know, we mentioned that duration a few times. I think that is inviting a little bit. And that's something that really, you know, is a benefit. A lot of these Czech films is Cole and I have been preparing. I've almost been apologetic, like, ah, sorry about all these movies we got to watch. But it's like, most of them are between like 70 and 90 minutes long, which is pretty great.
1: Yeah. God bless the checks.
0: I actually just wanted to look at your list and see Czechoslovakia. Yeah. <laughs> so the next one on the list would be closely watched trains all the way down. This is on your list of everything that received any votes at all, all the way down at position 617, wow. which is a little crazy. Yeah. So hopefully, you know, as we go through these next episodes, we'll get to really celebrate some films that we think are great.
2: Yeah. I can already see some of the films on this list that I would, absolutely want to be party to the conversations that you two have. You know me, you know what I love.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, our next sight and sound watch is going to be Alfred Hitchcock's Vertigo. And our next movie for the Czechoslovak New Wave series is going to be Yuri Hirsch's The Cremator. And that's going to be our first exploration into fascism, the Nazi occupation, Slovakian-Nazi collaboration. It's kind of mm. the genesis point of the political context that led to the New mm. Wave proper.
2: This is the only one of the four films I haven't already seen. So I'm very excited to see it. Same.
0: Um, Wow, neither of you have seen it.
2: Yeah. No,
1: it's uh, one of my blind spots.
0: Okay, well, I'm really looking forward to catching your reactions to it. For me, The Cremator, after Daisies, after Valerie and her Week of Wonders, were kind of like mild first watches. The Cremator was just like instantly my shit. Great movie, very weird, very dark, very funny. So I look forward to talking about that. And Riley, hopefully we get to see you. On our next conversation, but uh, we will be having a few more of these, so there will be some more opportunity to talk about some of these great European art house classics.
2: Absolutely. I'm already downloading the cream ladder as we speak. <laughs> uh, amazing. <laughs> I
0: love it. And Cole, we'll talk to you tomorrow, which for our listeners will be in the past, about just a big old smattering of new releases. I
1: cannot yeah. wait. How many people did you invite to this?
0: Uh, five. Five. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Uh, We're going to need a lot of food. It's going to be great. (laughs) I wonder if Marie and Marie have anything that they could spare. Some
0: bananas or sausages or cucumbers or something. Anything. (laughs) Well, that was great. Thank you both so much. And thank you all for listening. We hope that you will join us for the remainder of our series and check out our ongoing Sight and Sound series. Check out our upcoming episodes for our... We're doing decades. We did 2013 next we're going to be doing 2003 eventually 1993 it's going kind of 10 years back 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 so we got a lot of fun stuff planned in addition to our standard new release episodes so we hope that you will tune in for those and for those of you who enjoy music discussion you can listen to riley and Morgan and Jake, who will be on our new release episode, all on the James and T podcast on YouTube. Uh, you can particularly listen to Riley and I talk about the nice shaking the habitual. Yes, uh, this is the last time that I was on there, first time in a while. So
2: that was a great episode.
0: There's also some film discussion on there. We got some Drive My Car. Got some A Hero. You know. So if you're interested in more discussion, please go and check them out and support them. And as I've already said, thank you for listening, and we hope to talk to you on the next one.
1: Bye. bye, everybody. bye, bye.